Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. Welcome back to DesignCast, and on this episode, I had such a great conversation, and it was such a wonderful, enlightening discussion with Linda Keene. And Linda, I connected with her after reading a few of her articles that had been published all about STEAM and design education, even before these things were really mainstream. So I connected with her, and she is a professor of architecture and environmental design at the School of Art at the Institute of Chicago. And she's also an e-learning entrepreneur with her website next.cc, which we're going to talk about quite a bit during this discussion. She promotes environmental education awareness within the context of a STEAM curricular framework. This episode is quite different as when we spoke, she actually had a presentation that she shared on her screen with me and talked through that. So it might sound a little bit different than our normal episodes. However, that video recording is uploaded and ready for your viewing at YouTube as well. And that link is in the show notes. If you'd like to connect with Linda, which she would love to connect with you, or to check out the work that we talked about, head on over to the website, www.next.cc. And that, again, is also in the show notes. And there's resources, tools, articles, and so on that are all about this work that she's been doing. The show notes, again, will have all those links. 
I'd also like to ask anyone who has been enjoying this podcast to please uh, leave it a rating, either wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you can leave a comment, that would be incredibly helpful for me as well. You would also, if you're interested, might want to hear about my other podcast appearances where I've been a guest, and that is over on my website, jasonreagan.com. GA. Finally, a few weeks ago, I talked about this and I want to promote it one more time. And that's some exciting work that my friend Evo Hanan has been doing over at um, his website and on YouTube. And it's called Ed Talks Live. And now he has an upcoming show on September 6th. And that's at 7 p.m. Gulf Standard Time as he's based in Dubai. And what he says here is it's a live talk show for teachers and parents to bring insights, thoughts, and ideas from a local and global perspective. And it's supposed to help with remote learning and homeschooling needs as that's starting to become even more popular than it was before. So I want to share that with you guys. I know I'll be trying to tune in even though it's in a very, very late time slot for me, but that's all right. Uh, and if you listen to season two um, of the podcast episode that I've talked to Evo in, you'll remember that we've been working on a design network alliance. And that link to join our alliance is live, and I have shortened it to gg.gg slash design network alliance. There's also a link to that in the show notes. So thanks so much for making this uh, podcast as popular as it has been and I can't wait to see where it's going in the future so uh, without further ado please sit back and enjoy this discussion I have with Linda Keen. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of DesignCast, and I am just absolutely thrilled to have Linda Kane with me here today. She has such a resume, there's no way I can do it justice by introducing it myself. So Linda, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I am an architect and an artist. I teach at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where I was instrumental in getting an architecture program started. And I also am a design education advocate. And I didn't realize this when I first started teaching, actually, I ran the lecture series and we didn't have a lot of money in Indiana. And so I said, well, let's just call architects up on the phone. So we invited architects all over the world. We sent them a very nice invitation and they would send us their portfolio and we would just have a conversation online or over the phone then. It was pre-digital technology. And I found it really remarkable because there was not the same interaction between students and children with someone standing at a podium lecturing. The students could have some spontaneous questions and have interactions and realize that these people who are very established and recognized actually had interests like they did in the beginning. So I know one of the things you asked was what led up to this. Well, that lunch line program was one of them, but I actually grew up playing in the forest at the end of our block and then a couple blocks away in the river of a park. I didn't realize till later 
in my life how profoundly those times outdoors established who I would become. And throughout school, I loved art. I was good at math. I mean, I loved learning everything. And I put them together and I thought, well, I'll look at architecture school. I really wanted to go to Colorado where my uncle was dean of the mathematics program, but my father had my mother and three other daughters going through college. And he goes, we, we just can't do it. I said, oh no. And so I went to school in Indiana and it turned out to be a remarkable experience because this program had study abroad week. And then they had, you spent a year at London, you spent a year traveling, and you always took students on field trips. And I think that also started to open up the global understanding that I have why it's critical that you are placed in where you are from, because we don't choose where we <laughs> we arrive in the world and that you understand the world, you can understand the world right from where you are, especially with the World Wide Web. So anyway, when I stopped being chair at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I realized that academia is like an ivory tower in a way because it doesn't reach the world. And I, just like with Lunchline, wanted to connect the practice with the public. And so I started, my partner and I, who were making animated films on architecture that were shown on PBS and things like that, came about the time that CD development was coming. And so we made a CD called Architecture and Interactive Introduction, which is still for sale, but it was made on such a slow computer. And we mixed interactives with visuals in our videos. It was right about that time, because we, we would continue to make films, but that the World Wide Web opened up. And I was so excited. And then website design came. So what I'm going to share with you today is a program really built over about 15 years, but the particular website that you're looking at is about eight years old. It's pretty robust. It was all created by college students working to connect what they were learning, the third of the U.S. population that goes to college, with the rest of the population and helping to reach underserved children in schools that didn't have a lot of extra support. Everyone knows that STEM is science, technology, engineering, math. Well, it wasn't till last year that architecture, the built environment, and all the careers that go into our roads and our schools and our houses and our cities was declared a STEM subject. I'm laughing out loud <laughs> because there is so much of all of that in there. But in the beginning, when we started doing uh, career day workshops, which was one day out of the school year, you could go in and work with fourth graders, sixth graders, eighth graders, 10th graders, and share what you did professionally with interactives. We realized that architecture was actually STEAM. I didn't do it here, but we used to misspell it. We would spell it S-T-E-E-A-M. And teachers, of course, would say, excuse you, you have a misspelling in your presentation. But it's because I'm an environmental designer first, for an architect and everything I've done is really geared towards these larger earth, air, water, energy systems, and then of course art. I started with art first of all because of teaching at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, so started working with art educators 
we've, give, we've worked with technology educators, science educators, engineers, and environmental education, and math educators. We publish things with all of them, and each of them approaches this STEAM and STEM disciplinarily. And so design is the thing that can connect it. What we started to see is that even though architects design, we realized basically we live in a designed world, right? A lot of times I'll be talking to teachers and I'll go, look around this auditorium. You're surrounded. You're in a designed environment surrounded by objects designed by someone, sometime, someplace. And you probably came here in a designed environment and you'll leave here in a designed environment. 150 years ago, this really didn't occur in our country in such a way because we were walking to school, often a couple miles and so on. And things have rapidly changed. And so our children go from their house in the U.S. Many of them are bust. And so they go to the school, they might have a 20 minute recess, and then they're bused back home. And if they don't live in a safe neighborhood to play, then they're back inside. And so it starts this nature deprivation. And I'm just going to share a couple of these resources. I'm sure most people know them. The classics are A Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold from Wisconsin. And that's where I am right now on the shores of Lake Michigan. And it was a monthly diary of what was going on in the prairie and the forest around him. It's quite beautifully written and in many ways started the land conservation, wilderness conservation and John Muir movement. Silent Spring by Rachel Carson is a classic that launched the environmental EPA. And she actually called into attention the over abuse of fertilizer in growing plants. And then Last Child in the Woods is by Richard Louvre. And there's a quote, it's a four-year-old says, mommy, I don't want to play outside because there's more electrical outlets for my tech inside. And then finally, David Orr, Earth and Mind, one of the founders of Echo Literacy on education environment and the human prospect. And I really didn't read this until about 15, maybe 11 years ago. And basically it really hit home. All education is environmental. Who are we kidding? And so we're design denied in the sense that only three states in the United States have art and design standards. And I didn't realize that either till maybe like six years ago. And so some of the things I worked with art education students who were writing their dissertation on built environment education. And my partner and I studied all the built environment educations available around the world, Finland, Germany, the UK, and really learned how far behind we thought our country was. So I'm just sharing some of these. I was very excited when Bruce Mao came to Chicago and worked with Canon Design to do the third teacher, which was like, I think 79 ways to use design to transform teaching and learning. It was really an exciting moment for me. So here are the three states that uh, do have art and design standards. And of course I was thrilled to be in one. I also, Wisconsin is also the home of uh, the late Senator Gaylord Nelson who founded Earth Day, and my maiden name was Nelson, so I have an affinity with this. <laughs> and then the other thing is that uh, Milwaukee is on the shore of Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes, is really attempting to be global, great freshwater city of the world. And that's really important because it understands the finite nature of Earth, how our imagination, which is infinite, needs to really respond and use these resources. So that's where this is. There's our brain. 
and there's the earth. And now we know that the earth is finite and that we need to maybe be treating it a little bit differently. And so it is how do we change our imagination? And we both know we change things through the way we see, we think, we perceive, and the way we connect who we are with our perceptions. And the more we can expand this in that short K-12 time or even K-16 time, is really key because the intention of all education is for each person to find their purpose in the world. And all of us are different. We don't even need Howard Gardner to tell that we are different learning styles. We're interested in different things. And it used to be that reading, writing, and arithmetic were A+, but now it's really, we need to do all these other things. And that's, we've you know, the three C's, the five C's. You know, we have to be motivated to learn. So we have to connect. We have a daughter with autism and and in, I was always told, well, those are her splinter skills. And I'd say, splinter skills? Those are the things she's passionate about. <laughs> Use them as motivators. And I realized it kind of works for almost all types of learning. And as you mentioned earlier, before we started, the whole point in education in that K-12 period is to have lifelong learning. It needs to connect with who you are and what you're listening to and the people you know. And I love some of these early books. Self comes to mind, constructing the conscious brain. Because I think of the brain as the clear slate of the computer. And we can fill it with so much information and challenge it to grow in so many different directions. And now with neuroscience, they're starting to understand that if certain things aren't activated at certain ages in our life, they don't develop. And this was profound to me. As a parent, you know, you're supposed to do all this reading, you have children, and then you just have them and you enjoy them. And then they, <laughs> and now I'm reading a lot more. I know a lot more about children and the brain development than I did before. And of course, I'm a big fan of Ken Robinson, who pointed out some of these things and how finding your passion changes everything. For our daughter, it started with Dr. Seuss, and she still loves it. And I love it that decades after Dr. Seuss is gone, they are still cranking out these books, like Learn About Amphibians with Dr. Seuss, and they're wonderful. This is another favorite book I have, which is How to Be an Explorer of the World. It's really great because notice patterns, make connections, always be looking. And as an environmental designer, I realized I had selective looking. I wasn't looking at all the things that they that were there to see. And so here's like a designer and an architect, Bucky Fuller, who did design science. And he talks about all of these things that are interconnected. And this is pre-systems thinking. And it's amazing, the design of roses, elephants, and bees. I mean, it sounds like Dr. Seuss, but for adults. <laughs> Another design firm I followed for a while was Humanitific Design. And so I really love this. Before change happens, new seeing has to happen, new understanding, and new thinking. And that's what design does in the K-12 scenario. So I don't know if you've seen Powers of 10 by Ray and Charles. It's classic and it's mind-boggling. It's like a roller coaster ride way up into space and then this zoom down and you're looking at that person on the blanket and it's just like a person and then you go in it and it looks like baklava, which you'll never eat again. And then <laughs> and you go in and you're like, if you can't find somewhere in this universe to contribute, okay, then discover what it is that's not on this and tell us about it. 
<laughs> so that's kind of, I call that the vertical axis. This one is the horizontal axis. And I don't know if people have seen this. This was one of the early explore links we linked to next. The man had a project where this is what Peter Stuyvesant saw coming up the Hudson. This is what we have now. And basically a geologist put together block by block what the animals, the geology was through the last 400 years. And when you do this, you're thinking, well, we need this for every city and everyone needs to see this. And we're starting to have those types of things. So it begins to like, you just take the brain and you just start pulling it out and opening up big picture, part to whole and so on. And you realize that all that isn't me is me <laughs> and it's you. And so you go from the me to we, and you start to see that everything you do is connected. We started thinking about this. And at the same time, we were starting to, we worked with partner with John Maida's STEM to STEAM that came out of RISD early on. I went to architecture school. I was the only female in a class of 80 males. So I began to say, well, all right, we need to move this in this other direction as well. But I was excited when the National Environmental Education Foundation came out with this poster talking about how STEM impacts the environment. Because when we first started to introduce it to environmental educators, they were like, ooh, it's on the computer. <laughs> because they want to be outside. And I get that. I get that. What we have created gets you to look around right where you are, inside your house, outside of your house in the yard, out into your community, and eventually out in the world across the globe. That's when we ran into the notion of eco-literacy, the definition. At that time, we ran into Future Lab and Microsoft's Inquiring Mind study which we loved because it so clearly depicted how teachers can go from teacher-led to teacher-facilitated. And the difference between that science project and project-based learning across the curriculum. So here's everything in the world that humans conceive of. How do we then connect that with sustainability education or environmental education? And basically, it's by understanding the environmental context, the economic context, and the cultural context. So when I first started teaching eco design at the school, it was because I had just finished, my first website was for the city of Chicago, a green roof website. And yes, it was built by students. Nell Westerlin was the kind of co-director. She's still a graphic designer. And we studied all the websites out there that had anything to do with green. There weren't very many of them and they were really ugly and they weren't easily interactive. And so we tried to create one. And just now you can still see it. It's linked to the green roof journey. It did use flash to cover the aerial view of Chicago all with green roofs. <laughs> but we used to see this triangle that would say, you know, people, planet, profit. Okay, that's how some people and then we would study and they became like very robust and then a network and we were going, yes, that's where we're going now. And so this is back to human specific is that it really, it's a Venn diagram and it's maybe not all the same circle, but it is connected. So I put that in there just in case because it's so amazing. So this is how we broke it down and parsed it. We started looking at nine scales. Saarinen was an architect who used to say that you can design at any single scale, but it's going to at least affect the lower and the higher one. And so there you have that. And then from that point, you began to connect to the larger systems in the world, be they economic, technological, cultural, historical, or whatever. And we decided to call it Next. But when we went on Next, left to IBM, or not to IBM, to Exxon. <laughs> 
so we added the CC for creativity and compassion because you need those two things. They need to be your armor as you go out in the world so that you are open and receptive and to participating with others. And so we tried to take design practices learned by college students in the U.S. because design, except for maybe 12 high schools in the U.S., is only taught in college and connected to K-12. The families, teacher students, and then we, at that time, hit the web and we could do virtual field trips, museum interactives, videos, and so on. So when you Google next.cc, and we'll visit it briefly at the end, but I wasn't sure how fast the transmission would be, so I just screen captured a lot of things. You will see the nine scales, and you can actually roll over, and they will define them. You can roll over any of these topics, and they will define them, and then you can pick any combination of both scales and topics, and then all these journeys will toggle. And you'll see there are four types of journeys, tools, language, discovery, design, and tools introduce equally everything that humans use to look at the world, investigate the world and contribute to the world. And so you can imagine, we started with 16 journeys. So there are four tools, four languages, four discovery, four design. And we made a little book and we gave it to Racine inner city teachers. At the end of the week, they called and said, these were great. We are more. So we're now up to, I don't know, 350 journeys. Obviously tools is endless. It keeps growing, but then they seem to move on and then overlap with language. And language is really based on a lot of the vocabulary and principles that we get students to be really good at memorizing and then taking standardized tests with. But it's true. Confucius said to know something is to name it. If you're going to talk about ideas, you need to have some understanding of vocabulary. And we also do a ton of work with ESL schools. We love that because it gives them facility, not just in a language arts class, but in an act of fun-making atmosphere to use new language. And then discovery. Discovery is where really the overlap comes of systems thinking, where you realize that, oh, I can't just study water without studying the watershed and the ocean and the rivers and all of that. And then design is really design opportunities. And it really encourages students to understand the design process that's iterative, that makes mistakes, that learns from others, and so on. So this is probably, and it just, this is ongoing as well. So yes, it introduces science, technology, engineering, the environment, architecture, art, and math, and the different subjects. We also then, as IDEO and other people were putting out the design thinking toolkit, we started to try to parse that for children like, well, how do you think like a designer? How do you think like an architect? So we did the street journeys of these four different things. And there they are, design thinking, design research, design process, and design making. And then we also have digital making. It's cutting the you know informal learning to your lifelong learning. So we have college students make short little videos like this to try to connect ideas very simply. This is one of our very first journeys. It's a tool, it's a journal. And basically what it asks you to do is that if you are learning something, making a mark on a piece of paper will help you remember it. <laughs> okay. And so you pick your journal, you label your journal with your name, and we do this in workshops or a letter of your name. Like what's important to you now? Is it the birds or the rivers like me or reading or robots? And then you make journal entries. So you can see students are picking their letters, you know, they're taking pride in it of who 
they are. We started a review in this third version so that they would see that they were learning some vocabulary and principles. And this is a long time ago because we have so many more explore links. But you can see right away, you could pop into the Museum of Science and explore Leonardo's journals. You could go to the British Library and see other journals. If you were having trouble coming up with your letter and the student beside you was a real artist and doing a great job, we help you. <laughs> give you inspiration. You can keep a nature journal. This one blew me away when they started to digitize Mozart's musical diary, and you could not only hear it, but you could hear a docent talking about it. And these kind of interactive learning, this was my favorite, and unfortunately it was Flash. You could go through all of these and so clearly animated the layover of how he drew something and how he painted it. And then you could take your own mark and make Starry Starry Sky. So some of these are being returned now that Flash is over. This is an amazing sketchbook online. And so it's all alphabetical. You can see thousands of artists' sketchbooks. So if you're having like just a stuck moment, and I'm trying to get the architect's journals connected as well. And then you can actually buy a journal for $12, send it in and fill it out, and then it will become part of the sketchbook collection. That's been going on for like 10 years. Here we go, the sketchbook project. And from there, at the bottom, there are relate journeys. So you might go into visual note-taking, which we all have heard about. And that keeps you busy as a student so that you're diagramming and connecting. And that's how we you know, learned about Ken Robinson. And then as always, we connect students to careers that they might find that, oh, I'm doing this and I could make my living doing this. Light as energy and all the kind of things you can do. We're starting to build a gallery and then the review. But this is that stretching I talked about earlier of the mind. You can see the world sunlight map as it is today. You can go to NASA and learn about the distance of the sun to the earth and what causes seasons, the electromagnetic spectrum. So this is just overlaid seamlessly. You get science with language art, with design, with the beauty of nature. And this was the French museum that was showing an interactive of it. Hand shadows, why do we have shadows? <laughs> Photosynthetic uh, artist doing that. And an architect who uses light as really the driver of design. So it mixes these, it democratizes the field that you don't have to be the scientist, or you just have to be curious and want to do something. So teachers, they asked us, they said, well, that was great, but where do we go from here? This is such a deep site. So now if you like light, you could go to artificial light, solar energy, optics, light as energy, light design, photography, and so on. So now I'm going to quickly uh, move around and show you some of the work seamlessly, freehand with physical making and then with digital making. We're now preparing a set of worksheets and journals. So here they copy a nature's verb. So they've done nature patterns, 2D to 2D and 2D. This is now 2D to 3D. So they draw in here. Here they are drawing and then they build them. It's a five minute exercise. Okay, <laughs> it can be a warm up in the classroom. And there they are. This is on a three by five card, okay, with a flare. And then with like more three by five cards and a little bit of tape. So it's really fun. And we get students, uh, these are teachers now. This was the first and only middle school based on design in the US. We're connecting them to where they live on the Mississippi River. This is the marsh. 
and how they can bring that into their classroom, as well as bring careers in that area. This is in Chicago. We visited the Green Roof that started the website and introduced green building and green cities outside. This was a Herman Miller design show, and we got them to design chairs on the left, and here we're introducing them to the computer as a creative tool. They are designing green roofs. They're learning SketchUp for the first time. So these are the teachers, so that th this was early on. Now now there's so many more programs. And how do you use design as a language? And I love with adults and children, it democratizes everybody's skill level. And nobody is the perfectionist, nobody's the scientist, and they discover new ways to communicate what they're doing. So we work with third graders up to college students and teachers in school districts trying to connect what they're learning in new ways through projects. We have videos online. This is an amazing sixth grade workshop we've done a couple times called Folding, Fanning, Flying, Forming Fun, where they just start with the paper that you can't, you know, you, it won't stand up and then you just take control of it. <laughs> so many things. And we started to survey the girls, a girls school afterwards, what they found and what most of them said, it's doing something extraordinary with something ordinary. So it starts saying, and then we surveyed them, well, what material do you want to explore next? So some said clay and some said painting. And it, so it's how you take this kind of workshop, connect it to school, and then extend it into other places. This was an ESL school where we did a really early green school workshop. So this was early on before we even had worksheets, but you can see their inhabited letter. This girl had never used a computer and I showed her, you know, we showed her Google Scribble map. There we are showing the teacher and the student and now she's teaching the other student. Okay, so the students become the facilitators. And then they created an Earth Day pavilion and this led to outdoor classroom design and 21st century classroom design. This is one of many, these are older Chicago public school students redesigning the city of Chicago through its histories, the fire, the industrial kind of pollution, the pollution of the river, the reversal of the river. You can see down here the stockyards by the road lines, but it really hurt them when they came upon the oak savannas and they started to build things. We said, okay, now you have to take, do you notice what's in the river? And they go, oh yeah, there's fish and these little things. And I go, yeah, that's the phytoplankton and the zooplankton. And as you get polluted, you have to take those off. And they go, well, where do they go? And I go, well, they die. It really was, you know, it's like these poignant moments. So anyway, we believe design can run horizontally through the traditional subjects. And so the circles are specific projects that build skills and understandings. And it ends like in a middle school that's seven and eight with projects that combine different things that build a portfolio. So they build skills, tools, portfolios, and this takes the participation of teachers across the spectrum. And then the world is open. So I think I'm almost at the end. <laughs> we partner with people all over the world. This has been growing, people like-minded who are trying to transform education and to study the influence or the addition of art and environmental education into STEM. And I just got this today. It came out of the University of Chicago, and it says that third grade to fifth grade elementary students, their perceptions of their STEM learning experiences, it developed empathy, it developed problem-solving skills, possibility-seeking. It also develops metacognition in STEAM 
and so we call it broadening the net. You put it through this fun scope instead of you're going to science class now. Our topic is water. So I'll stop on that. And there's a lot of, you can meet designers online. There's a lot of themes that can run through next. I do want to tell the teachers and design educators, it is aligned to North American environmental education standards that as you look at these are close to the NGSS or science standards, but then they also ask for environmental issue analysis and then citizenship. It's also aligned K-235 to middle school, to NGSS and the cross-cutting concepts, and then also art and design. I think that makes it powerful for teachers to pick it up. They can watch, these are Flickr albums of like what journeys were used, what age group, what did the students produce, and then the videos, which are really helpful so you can see it in action. And then you can meet designers. College students interviewed different types of designers, just like three, two or three minutes, like how did you become who you are? <laughs> The gallery, we love to have people all over the world use it and submit gallery items and may your purpose in life be a life of purpose. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much. You know, and as I, I listened to you talk, I know we talked before we started about what I teach, which is design. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I haven't seen that happen in North America like I have overseas and internationally, but I'm hoping- I think I'm coming, moving overseas. <laughs> I, think you, I think you're going to have to come over. And anytime, anytime you want to come, Linda, we will have you with open arms, I promise. And, and you know, I think the whole idea of having the environmental and sustainability unfolded in because I, I don't think that you can separate them. I think that definitely has to be part of what you're doing. And so that's really amazing. And this resource, I'm I'm just upset I didn't find it sooner, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> I, I think these these kinds of things are really amazing. And like you, I know that you noticed the the through lines across the subjects. And mm -hmm. that's again something that I myself have pushed for is to say, wait yes. a minute, what you're teaching is actually design. You're just teaching the, the written part or you're just teaching the verbal part, exactly. you know? And so I think that we probably are of the same mind when it comes to these kinds of things. And so that's just amazing. I'm so happy to see such a resource out there. And I know that folks who are listening would definitely appreciate that kind of thing. And we'll probably love to be in touch with you and to find out more about what they can do to help. It's amazing. That would be great. I was just going to say, I didn't have it open. Um, I am going to do this real quickly because okay. there's a, just to give an update of where it is now. When you go, it's coming, it's loading. So you can see how it works over here. A lot of our research and our papers are available here. But what I wanted to point out was this special thing because it was started because of COVID and students not being able to be at school, all of us losing our schedule. <laughs> And so you kind of are scheduleless. And so these are weekly themes with daily activities. And we started out creating these workshops. And so here's what you're going to do. You're going to start a journal. You're going to look at natural light, words and word webs, and then end with nine scales of home. And these are all linked. So it links right back to the next site. It gets you to look and it gets you to draw and it gets you to think in scales. Well, that was an early one. We got more sophisticated after this and some of them get quite lengthy, but you can do the folding, fanning, flying fun workshop in your own home. There they are all there. And it shows the students doing it. And I, we partnered with Architecture and Design, which is one of the oldest programs in the US by Ann Taylor. And then we mixed it with the UWM Draw to Build and Design to Build online curriculum. 
and so it, it shows you exactly what you could be doing. So we're getting a little more sophisticated in our outreach and our goal is to keep it free. So I think that's the beauty of it so that schools all over can use it. We published one book <laughs> oh, called okay. The Design Primer, but it's sold out. That was with the 100 uh, Journeys. Okay. And now we're going to start publishing a series of books like on the topics, like just on architecture and here are the journeys and water, food, and energy. So, okay. I'm I can tell you now. that at least the folks I know, the, all four of them who listen to this podcast, <laughs> I know that they would even be keen to help contribute anytime you need things from even a different context. Because I know we yes. spoke before that you've had students from Korea, for example, in the past. I'm thinking about how I actually live in a city called Songdo. And Songdo. I looked it up. Yes, yeah, I did look it up is, on the map. <laughs> it is a man-made city. It's a man-made island that came out wow. of the mudflats, and it's meant to be the, a model of green architecture and green design. The things that are here are visiting. pretty amazing. Yeah, and, and yeah. 60% of our land is green. Well, we mm -hmm. can't build on it. It's all parks, and there's there's bike trails that run throughout, and all of our trash, there's no trash cans. Everything is underground, so you have to you have a special wow. key to put them in these chutes, and then they go in there sorted by oh robots my and gosh. it's crazy so that's so much that's you beat london that means you can't put there's no trash cans no, so you just no, have to carry not. it with you all that's day right. until you go home. this is so i am so impressed yeah. well it's great in theory until you have children and you have lots of trash to trash. throw away but yeah. you just figure out how to do it you know and you have special yeah. bags that you buy and that's what helps pay for the service and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's, it's really unique. And so I, when I'm listening to you talk about that, that's the first thing I'm thinking about is how this place was designed that way. This is where the global sharing is essential for human evolution. No one culture or no one country is doing it alone. We're in this together and we have to share ideas. Ideas should are for our own sustainability, all of our sustainability. You have to share because mm -hmm. it hurts everyone if you don't. And so I agree. Thank you for keeping this free. <laughs> for teachers because you understand the value of that and, and the teachers, yeah. but I can guarantee you that any kind of books that you would publish, I'm sure would be quite popular and would do quite well. This has been amazing. I really love hearing this. And every time I talk to anyone, I tell them about this resource. I just want you to know oh, I am telling you. Folks, and thank I know you, that um, I, I think that some of these, I think about the folding, fanning and fun. Flying, <laughs> forming, <laughs> furious fun. Furious fun. I think about even before school starts doing that with teachers in the pre-planning days just to talk about this let's, let's do this together you know and I, I think that the we, we're all design educators whether we believe it or not <laughs> so no exactly it. design is design is our nature that's one of our most popular workshops it's in our nature I am so glad we've had this chance to talk <laughs> and I do appreciate I so, it <laughs> I'm so excited now when you get it up I will email all my former students and they will watch it for sure. Sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make sure that you know exactly when this is going. And But this has been great. Be great. Thank you so much. I know it's very early for you. It's late for me. That's just unfortunately the nature <laughs> of the game. But you but, made it work and I made it work. That's right. A little horse that's voice. right. It's great. But thank you so, so, so much for sharing this with us. And I know that there will be a lot of people knocking on your door after this, wanting to find out more. And I will make sure to do my part to guide them in the right direction. <laughs> Great. And my dream is to come meet you in person, yes, Jason. Absolutely, in your green Linda. City I hope that that happens. And have happens. a tour. 
let's yes, do I, it. I would love to I'm show you around. I'm going to talk to my school. I'm going to tell them. <laughs> I didn't tell them I was doing this, but I'm going to tell them. <laughs> okay, bring it on. Bring it on. It would be great. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.